we've been going through a series uh, through the scriptures in the book of Ephesians. We've called it the geography of heaven because fundamentally to follow Jesus is to believe his claim that in him, this rabbi, Jewish rabbi from 2,000 years ago, in him, God has been brought near and accessible in a way that he was not before his coming. So we need to learn what is it that if we who have followed Christ have access to, how do we access it? What does it look like to live a life immersed in God in a way that says, heaven is really here. You know, our lives feel real. Heaven does not feel real for most of us. Geography feels real. We walk on it. We see it. Heaven does not. And so we believe that scripture is, is intent to help us understand where heaven invades our life as we follow Jesus. So, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll have it on the screen behind me if you do not have a Bible or an app that you can find it in. Um, I'm going to be reading from the CSB this morning. Normally we're in the ESV. The CSB just breaks it down a little bit more helpful um, for this particular chunk of Scripture. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's Word... Ephesians 2, verses 6 through 10. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, he, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Pray with me. Jesus, as we gather in this coffee shop in Los Angeles in 2022, would you, by your Holy Spirit, who is here and present and permeating our life, open the eyes of our hearts a little bit more to see the impact of the gospel. To see that not only has our guilt and our sin and our shame been dealt with, but that we have been swept into your grand story of reconciling heaven and earth and seeing hell chased away by the light of your kingdom. And so for my friends here today, I know we, we walk into a gathering of the church with so many burdens, secrets, things that are so heavy for us to carry. Um, some of us even just pride and thinking we're doing pretty well for ourselves and feel no need of you. And so Holy Spirit, would you do the, the work that only you can do in each of us? Um, help us to unpack this simple scripture to see the glory of Jesus and what we get to play in this world following him. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, you can take a seat. So last week, we were in the first five verses of chapter two, and we saw that in Jesus, in the gospel, in his laying down of his life for us, and the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter, that Jesus brought life from death. That Jesus entered into us, 
by his Holy Spirit and brings us a kind of life that is described in the Gospels as fullness of life. We saw last week what Jesus does in us. But very quickly and suddenly, Paul, the author of this letter, transitions from what Jesus does in us to what he wants to do through us. So if last week was he's bringing life into our deadness and resurrecting us to new life in God, the purpose of that, the point of that, is that we would be bringers of life out in the world. So the simple point today is don't miss the point. Don't miss the point for why Jesus came and for why the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to Jesus. A lot of times we think, okay, like, Jesus saves me. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose so that I could know that at the end of time, I will rise too. But we miss the point of the rising. We miss the point of the cleansing. Jesus didn't die just so you could feel okay spiritually. He died to deal with sin so that there could be no barriers between you and the freely flowing life of God in you so that you would be a conduit of life out into our hurting world. And quite frankly, I think that we have been discipled and formed in our day to fear failure and to think so lowly of ourselves and the impact that we can have that we just give up on the project altogether. We kind of cling to Jesus' robes, repent every once in a while and return back. Maybe we got baptized again, whatever it might be. When Jesus wants us to to be taught to stand up and to walk with him and to be his people in the world, bringers of life. So if we were to kind of follow our analogy of the geography of heaven, we've been kind of diving in each, each week into Ephesians and saying, look at the vista of the beauty of what heaven is. And last week it was, we have to pass through this river of resurrection life to get into the game. You, you gotta pass through the river of baptism into Jesus. It's the only way into the life of God. But once you pass through, immersed in that, you take up a vocation with God. It's as though we become the bringers of this heaven to earth, not as though we're the very source of it, but as though we're meaningful, dignified, authorized participants in it. So, don't miss the point of why Jesus saved you. Don't miss the point of passing through the river of union with Jesus so that you could actually be an ambassador for Jesus right where you are. So, two simple steps that we're going to see today. Two simple steps. The first step is grace places us with Jesus on the front lines of bringing heaven to earth. Grace places us with Jesus on the front lines of bringing heaven to earth. Verse 6 of Ephesians 2 says that we have been raised up in him and and he seated us in him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Mouthful there. But really simply put, when you're you're saved into Jesus Christ, when you have your eyes open to see his beauty and his glory and his kindness and his love, you are actually raised not just to life here on this earth, 
but in this mysterious kind of way, you are seated with Jesus, and in the Greek originally, in the heavenlies or the heavenly realm. So if Jesus came and said, I'm bringing access to God here into this, this earthy life that you live, he rose or he died, defeated and disarmed death. He rose so that life of God could be poured out and brought near to sinners and sufferers around us. We're actually raised not just so that we can have joy in life, but we're raised so that we can have authority in life. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, he raised us with him, raised us, not just to new life, but exalted us and seated us with him in the heavenlies. The notion of being raised and seated is that, that of being on a throne. Like, we got to kind of approach this with some trembling so that we don't think that, you know, we could just do whatever the heck we want and slap Jesus' name on it. But we got to see the kind of meaning and purpose and authority that Jesus wants to bestow to you and me. Being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus, is nothing less than learning how to steward that authority, that access, and that power for the good of others and the glory of God. So if you feel really under-equipped to know how to do that, welcome. <laughs> You're one of us. That's what we're committed to learning. Grace places us with Jesus on the front lines of bringing heaven to earth, not just to save us into relationship with God, but to empower us with the, the authority and the grace of Jesus. We're living subhuman lives beneath the dignity God has for us if we refuse to see our position in the new cosmos Jesus is bringing. It's not just an optional thing to say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll be a super Christian. I'll be used by Jesus out in the world. That's just Christianity. Why would we settle for being subhuman in the role that we play in the cosmos rather than taking it up? Because guess what? That's where your joy and your peace will really lie. Not in gluttony of grace, but in being a conduit of it. We're not supposed to be reservoirs of grace and love as though we just bask in it, and then we can go on in self-centeredness and security. We're supposed to be channels of grace into the world. And so, yes, we want to get as close to Jesus as we can, but we got to keep our feet grounded in the lives and the context that Jesus has for us. Grace places us with Jesus on the front lines of bringing heaven to earth. A few simple observations that are just right here in the text so that you would see that God himself says this to us. The first one is that we have access to God. You have access to God if you see Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, and hunger to follow him. That's why the Holy Spirit exists in you. Paul says we've been raised, we've been raised up in Christ. Notice that the life is not apart from Jesus, but it is in him. If you have been raised, you have access. The posture of our vocation, though, is one of receiving from him continually. So the posture of the authority that we have been given is one of surrender to Jesus that his will would be um, enacted through our lives. Surrender 
every week when we gather here, we're, that should be a check in our hearts. Jesus, am I yours for your purposes to be done in me this week? Guess what that does? That keeps us humble when we see power go out and impact people. And it keeps us from being undone when failure knocks on our door. Surrender. Some of you are in a season of suffering right now, and it's showing off the glory and sufficiency of Jesus. Surrendering to Jesus doesn't just mean your life is full of happiness and joy all the time. It means you're with him through whatever he brings you. That's why he said to the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he says, you must suffer for my sake. We have access by being raised with Christ. What kind of person does that tell us Jesus is? Yeah, he's good. I love it. We get yes and amen. Yes and amen. When we read scripture, here's, here's one of the things that I would urge you to take up. When you read scripture, don't just read it as a, this is what God did way back then 2,000 years ago and beyond. Because scripture communicates to us what kind of person God is here and now with us. So if God raised us up with, with Christ, God is the kind of person who invites others into his work. That's the whole grounds for creation itself. God's so full of joy as Father, Son, and Spirit that he just can't keep it to himself. So it pours out in creation, and then an earth, and a cosmos, and a sun, and a moon, and then image bearers come forth, and God says it's very good. And so Jesus defeating death and paying the, the atonement for sin was about getting us back into that place where we can share in God's joy and authority. So we have access to him, but it leads us into what I just mentioned, that we have, we have meaningful authority in the cosmos. Um, when you go back to read the first couple of chapters of Genesis that conveys God's heart and purpose for creating the world, what role did he give to Adam and Eve? Throw out some, some words that come to mind. What was their job? Caretaker. Steward. Naming, yeah, naming stuff. Ruler. Yeah. All of these words should bring to mind not just God's love for Adam and Eve and, and humanity, certainly, but purpose. Why were they placed there? They were placed there to be stewards and cultivators of creation itself. That goodness from God would flow through them and bless the world as that little garden would, would move forward across the whole earth and all of the unformed substance would be cultivated into the kind of beauty and life that God desired. He gave the meaningful authority. He said, you shall fill the earth and subdue it. Some Christians take that to mean we can just use up the world for whatever the heck we want and God's going to remake it all anyway. So they have a kind of uh, a scorched earth mentality about creation. That just misses the whole point. The point was the cultivation, beauty, flourishing. But authority is required. 
And Paul says that here, when we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus, he means the authority of Jesus is bestowed upon us as his followers. Now, don't go crazy with it again. That's why character matters. We need to be the kind of people to whom Jesus can entrust meaningful authority. That's why you see warnings throughout the New Testament, that say, actually through the whole Bible, that say, God entrusts authority to those whose character shows themselves viable, loving stewards of that authority. So if you're totally content with your life of sin, don't ask the question, well, why isn't God doing much through me? But if we would surrender and be willing, lay everything on the table with God and his people, expect great things from what God can do through you. There's a problem, though. We walk around in our day of secular materialism with a kind of fatalistic vision of God. If, if you know much of Scripture, you know God is really sovereign. Really sovereign. Like, He does what He wants. The Psalms say, the Lord sits in the heavens, He does all that He pleases. But there's a problem because we, we sell short just how invited into this authority we are. What do you, here's, a, here's a thought experiment. What do you imagine is happening when you pray? What do you imagine is actually happening? Not like way off in, in the like central throne room of, of the universe, but like around you in creation. Most of us imagine that we're talking to ourselves, Words are kind of hitting the ceiling. God is so high and lofty that he thinks our prayers are more like cute in our naivety than they are substantive and as though he's leaning in to say, yes, that's what I want. I will answer that. Okay, that, like, you don't know everything, so I'm going to adjust that one a bit. This is, this is as I've tried to understand the, the crucial essential nature of prayer and learn from saints who have gone before us. When you pray, here's, I think, a more helpful vision. Remember, Ephesians is all about Jesus usurping the principalities and powers that rule the world in oppression and domination. And through something as humble as prayer, Jesus intends to push back the darkness. So as you kneel in your bedroom, wherever it might be, as you pray here on the back rugs, or you come over here with the prayer team in our time of response, just imagine in your mind's eye that a kind of fog naturally rolls in, in this broken world, and prayer is us breathing out the new reality of Jesus that light and glory could shine forth. That just changes everything about the kind of urgency and power that you and I could have, but that's the authority that Jesus wants us to take up. And so then let's ask the question, how do we pray? Following Jesus is so simple. All the power, all the victory, all the grace, all the glory is with him. But his invitation to follow him is to, is to just learn how to steward it, is to learn how to receive it, is to learn how to be full of the life he wants to give us. And I just want to suggest to you, and 
I'm preaching to myself. Prayer is the most powerful metric for spiritual vitality and authority in our life. Can we become the kind of people, the kind of church, where when need is shared with us, instantaneously we say, we got to pray about that. And we don't just say we got to pray about that meaning like pray privately when we part ways, but like now, let's pray about that and believe that heaven itself is pressing into creation as we pray. You want to learn how to pray? I picked this up out there on the table. This is a resource that we made. Um, Caleb designed this. It's all pretty now. Uh, we call it abiding prayer. We know lots of structures have been made to try and teach us how to pray, but we felt that there are particular challenges to why we are prayerless. Our attention is pulled in every which way. We feel bored when we sit down to pray. Um, we're burdened by sin. And this was specifically A, B, C, D, E, specifically designed just to try and deal with the challenges we have so that we could have some handrails to pray. If prayer is hard for you, the 99% of you hearing my, my voice right now just pick one of these up and try and follow it out. There's prayer spelled out on the back if you need some real practical handles. We have access in Jesus. We have authority in Jesus. What does that tell us if we're given authority? What kind of person God is? It means he wants to actually use the brokenness, the crookedness, in the usefulness. It doesn't make sense. Um, God can make straight lines with crooked sticks. You've heard that, right? God is so sovereign, he does that. So in your workplace, in your class, in your family, with your little kids, if you are surrendered to him and saying, Jesus, please use me, I'm willing. That is the kind of person that God uses and God loves to use in his sovereignty. Um, lastly, last thing in this verse, we have a access, we have authority. We have abundance. We have abundance. Paul says that he might display the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Really simply, really simply, if you are a daughter or a son of God, you do not have permission to have a scarcity mentality. You do not have permission, and you have an invitation into the abundance of the king. Not saying your bank account will be abundant no matter how much you spend, but the kind of vision you can have for God's purpose through you is one of abundance. There is no power of darkness too strong that your prayers can't push it back. There is no need um, or, or amount of poverty around us that by us simply being willing with open wallets, God cannot provide for. The question for us is, are we living among ourselves as the people of God with that kind of vision of abundance and generosity toward one another? Because I can tell you something, if we aren't living in that way with each other, back to the whole character thing, God certainly isn't going to entrust to us a bunch of people that, that are for the first time wanting to start following Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. 
So again, the question about how you pray and what you imagine is happening when needs interrupt your life, when brokenness floods your life, when you're on your way to coffee with somebody or lunch with somebody and boom, a need hits your life. Are you in a rush and are, are you scarce on time and resources to be able to meet that need? Or are interruptions in your vision a part of the mission that God has for you? Here's why it matters. What occurs among us as a church family, whether we, we're just scarce and stingy in our sharing of time and resources and service, is the same thing that will be replicated in any new disciples among us. A.W. Tozer, author from the 20th century, said, a revival of his time in the 50s, a revival of the kind of Christianity today would be such a disaster, the likes of which the church would not recover for a hundred years. If you know Jesus, you have access to the storehouses of heaven. The degree to which we love each other the degree to which we hear about needs from up here or through our messaging or through our relationships and how we respond to that is a direct correlation to the access we think we have to God's abundance. So when you look at your budget and someone comes to you and can't make rent, don't, know, don't care how it comes, outside the church, inside the church, need $500, and you're like, dang, that's a budget breaker for me. Are you beholden to your budget or is the need the mission that God has placed in front of you? I just want to plead with us to say, Jesus is more than rich to be able to meet your needs as you meet the needs of others. Here's the danger if we don't take that up as a normative thing among us. All of us playing our part is a beautiful thing. Here's the danger. A handful of us get it and are all in on it, and the rest of us just kind of coast in tow and break the backs of people who are trying to live like this. And so the simple invitation is to, to dive into the beautiful waters of life with God. It can get a little choppy in a local church You'll be hurt, disappointed, all sorts of things. But guess what? No more than you will out anywhere else when you start trying to really live life places. But that's where you find the power of God going forth as a mustard seed. That's where we learn to joyfully give ourselves away. In the church. So we have abundance in Jesus um, simply put, what kind of person is God? When he sees need that is created by love, he always fills the need with his abundance. If love for other people in your life ever produces voids where you have genuine need, your budget, your time, your energy, you can bank on God's faithfulness to meet you. So, First step in this learning to walk with God 
is simply to see that Jesus in our saving of us exalts us to his throne with him together. There's an us throughout each of those. Step two is that grace would spill over through us through a life of good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 8 through 10, our passage ends with, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. There are, there are a couple of, of sentences in there that are like mega famous in the church, right? You have been saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's God's work, not from work, or God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. Some of you need to hear that fresh today. No matter how well or riding high you are in your spiritual following of Jesus in all of life, that didn't save you. You can't earn your way into God's kingdom. No one may boast. But I think there's maybe something else for us here too. If, if you didn't get into this thing by achievement, you can't lose your way out of this thing through failure. If you didn't get in through achievement, you can't be cast out by failure. Here's why that's so significant. I mentioned this last week. Following Jesus is scary. Faith is risk. If you're not risking, you're not living by faith. Plain and simple. Faith is living by what we can't see in what we can see. And maybe grace isn't so much trying to help us see that, man, just be thankful that Jesus is so good and, and, and beautiful that you could get into the kingdom but also to empower you and stir you to see, if I can't fail my way out, what am I doing building my life around security and achievement? What a small vision. So I've heard stories about how people among us are learning to live this out. Taking risks, giving away paychecks just because they don't need it. Seeing what God would do in the life of others. Having a spare couch and inviting in kids who just have parents who have need for a break. Knowing the complexity of inviting people in and entertaining or being hospitable towards strangers. Loving people. Seeing needs and stepping in when there's all sorts of needs in our own life. This is, this is what grace is supposed to do show you that you are so graciously loved, even when you were an enemy running away from God, and then to sweep you into the life of his kingdom and giving yourself away. Second Corinthians, a couple of passages that are absolutely mind-blowing if we would get this. Second Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace, there's our word, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus is the living example of this. And God the Father didn't leave him out to dry. So that you would know, I would know, 
we would know. He won't let us out to dry either. Abundance that you have, abundance of time, abundance of energy, abundance of nights of the week, abundance of financial resources, abundance of skill. Some of you are wildly gifted. All of it has been entrusted to you so that in the difference where others have poverty, the love of the kingdom of God, broken in through Jesus, would compel you for no other reason to take on the poverty of other people. And then to know the future is so bright and secure. So don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. Because guess what? Some of you have a Jesus that just helps your inner person feel okay with your sins or brokenness or addiction. And that is certainly a part of the beauty of the gospel. But it's not the whole point. God wants to pick you up off the mat so he can put you to work and that you could find the joy and the peace of his kingdom through you. So a couple of simple commitments or handles as need breaks into your life this week. Step into it, not away from it. Um, we have a couple of neighbors, wonderful elderly ladies. And um, my self-centeredness is exposed on the weekly by the simple needs that they have. Oh, I can't figure out how to press the right button for lift. Can you help me? And in my mentality of, of go and go and achieve and, and me and all of these things, sometimes the invitation is as simple as helping someone figure out an app. Other times it's saying, wait a second, where are you trying to go? Oh, why are you going to pay $10 to be driven up the street? I'll just drive you. Needs flood our life. Take someone out to lunch who's hurting. Listen to them. Hear them. Give money away. Whatever it is. Just say, Lord, whatever you want to bring my way, help me to be humble and bold enough to enter into it and not back away from it. Second invitation. See, everything that you do in your job, in the church, as you go, in your family, as your vocation entrusted to you by your creator. Remember the big story. We're here with God's authority as stewards of the earth, cultivators of the earth. Your occupation fits into your vocation, but it's not all of your vocation. Some of us get so swept up into our occupation that we don't have time for the fullness of the vocation God has for us. So love the church. Like play a part in this family of God here. Love your neighbors. Do you even know the name of your neighbors? Like us Angelinos, we just go from car to place to work, back in car, social place, back home, through a garage. If, if you have a garage, if you're lucky enough to have a garage, God bless you with street parking. <laughs> know the name of your neighbors. Invite them over for dinner. Start a game night or a fantasy football league or whatever it might be and invite in people and build relationship because relationship is the context of the kingdom of God. 
So some of you are wrestling, though, right now with what your vocation even is. And I want to I do my best to try and pass on some simple wisdom, three questions for how God has wired us, questions to ask yourself about the big picture vocation you have. The first one is, who am I becoming? I was so encouraged this week when I met with a couple of young guys at UCLA who said, yeah, looking at my summer, in the past, I've just asked the question, what builds my resume the best over the summer? And instead, like, Holy Spirit helped see, who am I going to become by the end of the summer? Because guess what? Building your resume ain't going to ease your anxiety or prayerlessness. The quality of your life is not determined by the length of your resume, but by the substance of your inner person. God will use you for more if you focus on the right priorities. Character is king in the work of the kingdom. Second question, what needs are around me? The immediate context you find yourself in is the assignment God has for you. There's not some big picture, huge breakthrough waiting on the other side of an application. Doesn't mean you can't apply and search, but you have to see the primary place God wants you to be serving his kingdom is right where you are, in your class, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church. Third one, this is the one that most of us spend our time focusing on. How am I wired to joyfully pour myself out for others? Some of you will have a job that you do not love all of your life. That's okay. That's welcome to human history, actually. But there are ways that we can augment even a job like that with ways that God has wired us to joyfully create, to joyfully write, to joyfully serve and use our gifts. So maybe you just need to envision that the purpose God has for you is bigger than the occupation. But let's look at a few ways that we serve tangibly as God's stewards in the world because these are helpful categories for us to find life in loving people. The first one, redemptive work. We got a slide, I promise. Okay, this is from Amy Sherman's book, um, Kingdom Calling, I believe. Uh, but look it up. It's, a, it's an amazing book by Amy Sherman. Redemptive work. That is God's saving and reconciling actions. It's like telling people about Jesus, my, my role as a pastor. Um, creative work, cultivating beauty from raw materials on the earth. Providential work, God's provision for creation. Justice work, it's supposed to be yellow. God's maintenance and execution of justice in the world. Compassion work, God's involvement in comforting, healing, guiding. Revelatory work, God's work to enlighten with truth, discovering the things that God has hardwired into the universe. We live right next to UCLA. This is a huge one. So when you think about these, don't just think about what you're equipped to do by your education or your upbringing. Which of those may bring you joy? Like someone walks into the room and you just start spouting off all the stuff that, that you've been learning recently. Maybe it's revelatory work. Someone walks into the room, or you walk into a room and you see the hurting person. You just sense who they are. That compassionate work. Advocacy for the marginalized. Justice work. The, 
The fingerprints of God are all over us. One of the things that the enemy wants to do is not actually have us discover the ways that God has wired us to joyfully give ourselves away in love. And that is a huge hunger for our generation because in Ephesians 2.10, Paul ends our section by saying, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The wiring that God has created in you, the story that you have lived, is God's workmanship preparing you, equipping you, and curating your life and environment for the purposes of his kingdom. Heaven to come to earth through you. Are we willing for that? It'll, it'll require us decentering ourselves. And with open hands, saying, Jesus, I am along for this ride. Because it is an absolute event adventure in the unknown of what God may bring you through. But the joy of grace is that as we walk with Jesus, as we're willing, we find life like we didn't think was possible. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and would speak to us. Notice the us-ness in even this last verse. We are his workmanship. We. Your vocation is not just your prerogative. We want to see each other fulfill the role for the good works that God has for us together. So, we need community for that. We need a willing heart for that. And we need to believe that what Jesus has done might be more extravagant and lavish in what he intends to do through us than we first thought possible. We pray and ask him to move us and help us in that. Yeah? Jesus, forgive our disbelief. It is so easy for us to be jaded. Uh, we see your word and uh, your name scandalized through social media, through journalism, in ways that the church properly should be exposed. But would you help us to not grow cynical with the way that you can pour out your life through us into the lives of others? And would you return us to the kind of childlike awe of seeing that Jesus is so big, he can work through little old us. And so whatever brokenness, whatever suffering, whatever strain, whatever immaturity we may have right now, would you please carry us and lead the way, Holy Spirit. Help us to be resolved to do it together, to dive into the work and life of the church here. I pray for any of my friends here 
that are content to just sit on the sidelines. Help them to see the dignity and the gifts and the value that they have. Help us to dive into life together and to believe as we go out into our workplaces, we are your ambassadors, we are your co-laborers for the sake of your kingdom and the fame of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.